Well, good morning. I'm Stephen. I am the pastor here, and uh, we are we're in a series. It's called Invincible Joy. We're looking at one letter that this guy named Paul wrote, and this letter, as sometimes writing does, this letter gives us a window into the heart of this man named Paul. Now, Paul was a man who hated Jesus until he met the real Jesus. Um, after meeting Jesus, Paul's entire life changed. He went through this huge transition. He went from hating Jesus and hating Christians, by the way. If you uh, feel that way, then Paul understands what it's like to hate Christians. Um, so he went from hating Jesus and Christians to loving Jesus and wanting to help Christians know Jesus better. Um, he taught anyone that he could the good news of Jesus' love and the invincible joy that comes from following Jesus. And so in this short letter, Paul expresses his joy and he shows us how he experiences joy in the midst of the worst circumstances of life. And I love it because if joy could be possible for him at his worst, then to the degree that we're not that bad or we're not experiencing it that bad, then we also can have joy in our lives as well. And so just last week, when Bill preached, um, we saw that Paul said, we have joy when Jesus is the one who leads you. When Jesus is your Lord, you can have joy because nothing else compares to Jesus. Right? There's all kinds of people, Paul said, there's all kinds of people who will try to convince you that there are things that are better than Jesus. There's all kinds of things in the world that people say and commercials and culture says, if you just have this, you'll be happy. If you can just get this, you'll be okay. Paul says they're wrong. They're actually false teachers. He says, let me tell you, nothing compares to what Jesus gives you. Compared to Jesus, every other source of happiness might as well be trash. That's the paragraph before what we're going to look at today. He says, compared to everything, compared to Jesus, every other thing that you think might make you feel good enough to justify your existence is worthless compared to Jesus. It's not gain, it's loss. And it's not because these other things can't make you happy, but it's because there is nothing else like Jesus. There's nothing else that can give you joy and confidence through suffering and turmoil, through the brokenness of life and through the malevolence of people. Nothing else can give you a sense of purpose and meaning in the midst of anything going on in your life the way that Jesus can. Jesus gives us assurance and confidence and nothing else can compare to this. And so Paul makes these amazing statements, these superlative statements about how nothing compares to Jesus. And this brings us to chapter 3, verse 10. Um, and here Paul shows us more of his heart. So we're going to read verses 10 through 16. The, the verses are in your bulletin. There's a place there to take notes. They're also going to be on the screens as we read along. So friends, listen. This is God's word. Paul says, That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because 
Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. I love this passage. I love this passage because Paul says, verses 10 and 11, he says, I just want to know him. I just want to know Jesus. And so the first point that we're going to see is that if God loves us, we want to know Jesus more. Okay, if God loves us, we want to know Jesus more. And there's a dynamic here that I want to flesh out. I want you to think about something because the way that Paul reacts to God's love sometimes is very different from the way that we react to God's love. For Paul, Jesus brought rest, brought like the end of the rat race. So Jesus brought rest, he brought comfort, he brought security to Paul. He freed Paul from the, the comparison trap he freed Paul from feeling like he had to earn it. And that freedom brought Paul this invincible joy. And then listen to this. That freedom drove Paul to want to spend time with Jesus. Because of this incredible freedom that Jesus gave him, Paul wants to spend time with Jesus. Last week, we saw in the, in the passage that we looked at is that Paul spent his entire life acquiring more and more and more achievements just so he might be acceptable to God, just so that he might have confidence that he'd done enough to get access to God. And when he met Jesus, he realized that he had to trust Jesus and that by trusting Jesus, he had assurance. He had access to God. He was accepted by God. He had everything that he wanted from God. And he responded to that assurance by spending time with God. He says this. Look, he's like, I just want to know him, that I may know him. Is that your heart? Do you want to know Jesus this badly? Does the freedom that Jesus gives you to not have to do anything make you want to know him? Or do you kind of have this thought of like, well, I know I'm fine with God because of Jesus, so I'm good. Now let me go do whatever it is I want to do with my life. Think about this. You have access to the king of the universe. You have access to someone who is so powerful, who is so strong. The Bible says that he holds the stars in the palm of his hand. You have access to the king of history and the king of eternity. Do you respond to this kind of access by saying, hey, I can go hang out with God whenever I want. So, I don't know, maybe once a month I'll spend some time with him. Paul thought, if this is who Jesus is, then I want to spend as much time with him as I possibly can because knowing him makes life special. 
and, and I know it's hard. Like, I get it. I know it's, it, it, it can be difficult. Um, man, there's something about, like, sometimes spending time with God is boring, right? It doesn't feel meaningful. It doesn't feel significant. It doesn't feel like anything happens when you try to spend time with God. Um, but I want to tell you that it's knowing God better that makes, like, more of life not boring, Your work time, your work hours can be unbelievably tedious and boring. But when you know Jesus and you can see Jesus' purpose in the relationships that you have at work, then that time takes on a new meaning and a new significance. When you realize that Jesus doesn't just have you at work for the relationships that you can build, but the work itself is meaningful to him, it adds new meaning. It adds like another reality to the time that you spend at work. And again, I get it that sometimes our time with God is not exciting. Um, now, sometimes the answer to that is that you need to find a way to connect with God that works for you. Okay, there's lots of ways to get time with God. There's lots of ways to get who God is and what God is like and how God thinks and feels and to spend time with that, right? You can read the Bible. You can read books about the Bible. You can pray. You can write. You can sing. You can listen. You can talk to others. There's all kinds of ways to spend time with God and with the truth uh, that God has revealed to us about what he's like. And then it's, it's, it's taking those truths and then having a relationship with the God who is those things, right, in its most general sense. And so sometimes maybe you just want to do something a little bit different, maybe for a season. You want to try something different in terms of spending time with God, and that newness might work better for the way you're wired. But then sometimes, sometimes our time with God, it's just realizing that any relationship takes a lot of quantity time for there to be quality time. Like, I wish there was some magic thing that I could say that would make all of you overjoyed every time you spend time with God. I don't think that's how it works, though. And I think God's designed it that way so that we would realize that, like, even a relationship with him takes work. It takes work sometimes. For Paul, the goal of his time with God was to know more about Jesus because for Paul, knowing Jesus brings power. Knowing Jesus brings power. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. So to know Jesus and what Jesus experienced, it brings power because what Jesus did, he did for us. So Jesus was resurrected. The power of his resurrection, Paul says, he was resurrected. He, was, he, he emerged from the tomb beyond death. He passed through death and came out the other side of death. And in his resurrection, Jesus showed that his power was stronger than evil. His power was stronger than selfishness and bitterness. And all of the evil that put him on the cross, his resurrection shows that he is stronger than even that. And the more we know him, the more that we experience that same power. The more we know him, the more 
that what happened to him begins to affect us. The life of Jesus. Jesus lived a perfect life for us to earn right standing before God so that he could gift it to us who cannot. We can't earn right standing before God. We're not good enough. We all sin and fall short of God's glory. Jesus didn't sin. Jesus lived up to God's glory. And he shares his perfect record with us. When you know Jesus, you know that you don't have to earn anything with God because he lived for you. And he lived in a way that showed it's possible for human beings to overcome sin by God's power. And so when you see the perfect life of Jesus on the pages of Scripture, when you imagine what Jesus would have done in the situations that you find yourself in, when you know Jesus and the way that he would respond, and you remember the gospel truth that that Jesus now lives in you by the power of his Spirit, then you can overcome the sin and the temptation in your life. And so knowing Jesus brings power. And Paul goes on, he says, even that knowing Jesus even gives suffering a purpose. He says, I want to know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul says, when I know Jesus, then my sufferings are different. Because if I suffer in the way that Jesus did, I'll experience even more of his resurrection. So Paul sees his suffering as a chance to become like Jesus in his death. So when things go wrong for Paul, Paul doesn't moan and groan and cry and complain apart from God. The Bible actually teaches us that it's okay for us to complain to God. The Psalms teach us that the most mature of God's children complain in his direction and, and beg and plead with God to listen and to respond. But Paul sees his suffering in an additional way. He's, he says that his suffering is a chance to become like Jesus in his death. So many of us right now are suffering. Some of us in small ways some of us in ways that really ought to destroy you, but you're still standing. Paul says that I see my suffering as a chance to become like Jesus in his death. And I want to invite you to think about your suffering in this way. You now have an opportunity in your suffering to become like Jesus was when he died. So what does that mean? Well, it means that when you suffer because of others, you have the chance to be gracious and forgiving just like Jesus was on the cross. What did he say? He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. When you suffer from the general brokenness of the world, sometimes it's other people's fault, sometimes just because life is busted. It's because things don't go right, that no matter what you do, whether it's Murphy's Law or whatever it is, like things just are broken. And when that happens, then being like Jesus in his death means that you have the chance to trust God and to honor God and to see how God might bring good out of the suffering that you're in, just like Jesus. When you do that, you show that your faith in God is more powerful than the suffering that you're experiencing. 
because it doesn't make you give up on God. And so Paul's assurance, his confidence that God loves him, moves him to want to know Jesus better. And I want to say in light of, we got, we got baptisms going on next week, right? Baptisms in the bay. Baptism is God's adoption ceremony. When people are baptized, that's God's adoption ceremony that pictures our entrance into God's family. It pictures us being washed, washed from our sins. So there may be some people next week who are dipped under the water and then brought back out of the water. That's like this washing when we die with Jesus and we are raised up with him. Baptism also pictures us receiving God's Holy Spirit. That's the image of water being sort of poured from above over us, like God's Holy Spirit was poured out from heaven over us. And so I want to ask you, um, if you're trusting Jesus, are you ready to take the next step if you haven't been baptized? Be baptized in the bay next week. Let us know you want this. You can use the connection card that's in your bulletin. Just say, hey, I want to get baptized. Give us your contact information. We'll touch base with you this week to help you be ready. And this is for you or your children. We'll talk about that in a little bit. So if God loves us, then we want to know Jesus more. Our second point is this. If God loves us, we want to be like Jesus more. We want to be like Jesus more. This is verse 12. Look at that on the screens in your bulletin. Paul says, not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I love this. Paul's like, I'm not there yet. I'm not perfect yet. I'm an apostle of God. I'm one of 12 that are appointed by Jesus to speak with his authority and to write with his authority. I am dictating right now a letter that is inspired by God and yet... I'm not there. I'm not perfect yet. But I strive for more and more and more and more of the power of Jesus so that my life might look more and more and more like the life of Jesus. Paul's saying here, I work hard to get as much of the perfection that I'm aiming for in this life. And I love this because Paul is saying here, I strive not because I have to, but because I just want more of Jesus. Do you feel the difference? Like some people think, man, I got to do this, I got to do this, because if I don't, God will be mad. And that is a treadmill that increases in speed the harder you run. And it's never satisfied and it never stops. That's when you do things because you have to. But Paul says, man, I, I strive because I just want more of Jesus. I want more of what he is like. I want more of him in more of my life, in every relationship, in every situation that I'm in, at home, at work, in my community, in my neighborhood, with my neighbors, with my friends, with my coworkers, with my colleagues, with my family members. I want more of Jesus in all of these relationships I mean, more like Jesus doesn't mean that I'm better than other people. 
it's nothing like that. Paul's like given up all of that. He's like, I'm done comparing myself to others. I'm done trying to be the most perfect person out of all the people. He's like, I just want more of Jesus, and I want other people to experience Jesus. So the more of Jesus I can get in me, the more of him might come through me to love others. Do you have people in your life who really need Jesus? Some of them might be Christians, and they need Jesus. They're like missing something. The more of Jesus you get in you, the more of Jesus you can offer them. The more of Jesus you can show them. The more of Jesus you can share with them. This effort to be perfect, this this pressing on to make this perfection our own is not so that we can check off boxes. It's so that we can live in ways that would show people a love that's patient and understanding, that's wise that can enter into the mess of their lives and just sometimes just help them know that even though the life is messy, that they're still loved. Sometimes God might give you wisdom to help maybe untangle some of the knots that are deeply rooted in their hearts. This is what it's for. This is why we want to be holy. It's not so that we can be so different from everybody else that people kind of feel weird and condemned by us. It's so that we can be present in a way that gives people hope. And so we can be present with people in ways that would give them a sense of encouragement. We can say it this way. My work is from my salvation, not for my salvation. Right, this is what Mike and Chad have both told us the last few weeks when they were preaching. And this reminds me of baptism because this is kind of how baptism works. Right? If baptism is our adoption ceremony, then baptism produces a life that chases after following Jesus. Right, do you remember that really complicated slide that Mike showed us of the ordo salutis, the order of salvation and how it all works? And then Chad... Re, um, He recalled it, he brought it up, he used it too. Um, I didn't put it up, sorry. Um, But the point was that that God has done all of these things. Like the, the order of how it works is so important because God loves us, God chooses us, God dies for us, God calls us, God forgives us, God adopts us when we, when we believe, and then he baptizes us to preach that acceptance that we are his adopted children. And then he tells us to work. It's not for our salvation. It's from our salvation that we strive to be more like Jesus. And so baptism produces a life of good works. Good works come after acceptance and forgiveness. This is what the gospel, this is why it's good news. Because if it was the reverse, then none of us would be good enough. So our obedience comes after we've been forgiven and accepted because now we want to serve him. We want to share him with others. We want like, like, and our, our obedience, here's what's awesome. It's this sort of like wonderful positive feedback loop where the more that we obey him, the more that we reflect him, the more that we treat other people the way that he would, the more we actually know him. <laughs> Have you ever been in a situation where you actually did the right thing and you're like, huh, I guess that's what it was like for Jesus. 
you were patient. You didn't lash out. You actually stopped. Instead of getting angry, you decided to take a step back and try to understand. You're like, huh, patience. That's new. You, like, that's what it was like for Jesus. You know him better when you obey. And so if God loves us, we want to be more like Jesus. Our last point is this. If God loves us, what this passage teaches us is that we want to exchange our past for God's future more. We want to exchange our past for God's future more. I think more kind of got stuck on there just because of the parallel with the first two points. It doesn't quite work grammatically, um, but I kept it there for consistency. Um, but, but, but the reality of this is that our efforts to do this are imperfect, right? So more does work in the effort to exchange the past for God's future because we're going to struggle to make this a reality. But Paul is saying that we've been freed from our past to live a new life. So he says this in verses 13 to 16. He says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So what's Paul saying here? He says, look, I'm not done. I'm not done, but here's one thing I do. I leave everything behind in the past, and I look for confidence to Jesus. I strive now for more of Jesus. Paul's saying, look, I let go of all the past ways that I used to derive significance and meaning and purpose. And now I'm just solely focused on finding the meaning in my life in my relationship with Jesus. There's this athletic image of running a race. Paul is straining forward to what lies ahead. He's striving for the finish line. Um, it's not a sprint. Um, in Hebrews 12, verse 1, it says that we run with endurance the race that is set before us. And here's what's important. The goal that we have, the goal we're striving toward is not heaven. Okay, Our goal, the perfection is not heaven. The goal is living with God and each other in God's new world with our new selves. The upward call is the call to the resurrected life where we are able to love God and to love others perfectly, beautifully, sincerely. That's perfection. It's when heaven and earth are joined together and we live body and soul in communion with God and with each other in perfection, in beauty, and in sincerity. And so Paul, that's what Paul's striving for. And the reason it's important to strive for the resurrected life in the new heavens and new earth is because we can start living that way today. We can begin to live now in the present by God's power and by knowing Jesus more, we can begin to live the way that we will live in the future. We're never going to get there until we get there. We'll be able to say with Paul, I haven't obtained it yet. I'm not already, I'm not perfect yet, but I strive. So we're striving more and more and more after the resurrected life that will be ours in the future. That's what we're aiming for. And this gives you freedom 
to leave the past behind. Paul can forget his past because in the gospel, God has forgotten his past. This is what forgiveness means. Friends, you can leave the past behind you. God gives you permission to forget the past because he has forgotten the past. He has forgiven it. He has taken away all of your sins. And he is looking with you, alongside you, and in you toward the future. We could say it this way. You're not defined by your past. You're defined now by your relationship with Jesus. Now, there's something else I need to say here. There's a, like a, a pastoral qualification that I want to make here. Um, there are times when we need to remember the past. Um, those times typically are when the past is affecting our present. When things that we've done in the past are affecting us in the present, then it helps us to look back at the past so that we can kind of untangle some of that stuff so that we can work through it. Um, there's another way, though, too. Um, sometimes that we have to remember our past so that those that we have hurt can forget our past. Okay? Sometimes we have to remember our past so that the people that we've hurt can forget our past. What do I mean by that? Well, Oftentimes, um, we need to communicate to people that we've hurt that we're not going to forget what we've done to help them forget what we've done. When you've hurt someone over and over and over and over again, it's a pattern in your life. Sometimes, saying, oh, Jesus, I got a Bible verse here. I just can forget the past. I can move on from the past. That makes the other person think, wait, so does this mean you're just going to keep doing this? Does this mean that you don't realize that the next time you do it, it's not going to be the first time you've done it, but it's the 101st time you've done this? There's a sense of fear. Like, I don't know if I can trust you if you're just going to leave the past behind in this way that probably isn't what Paul is talking about here in Philippians chapter 3. And so how do you bring reconciliation in a relationship with conflict where you have hurt the other person? Well, one way is saying to the other person, look, I know that God has forgiven me. I know that you even said that you have forgiven me. I want you to know that I'm not going to forget the past. I'm not going to forget that I've done this before so that you can forget it. I'm going to keep holding on to this and my awareness of what I've done and who I've been so that you'll know that you don't have to carry this. Does that make sense? Because um, that's what happens sometimes. Like if you've been hurt, you're like, well, so are you going to deal with this or not? And oh, you're moving forward. I guess that sounds good. And God's forgiven you. That's great. I know. Shoot, now I have to forgive you too because God's forgiven me. But gosh, man, are you going to keep treating me this way? But if you tell me, hey, look, I know I've done this before. I know this has been a pattern in my life. That then frees me up to say, oh, cool. All right. You're working on this. You've got this so I can let it go. 
And so sometimes our best response is to not forget what we've done so that they can forget what we've done. And again, this is like a knot that takes wisdom to untie. And they need to learn how to forgive too. I mean, there's lots of things. If you need help with something like this, come talk to me. Talk to one of the elders. We can help you work through this. Verse 15, I, I like it. Look in the bulletin. It just says, let those of us who are mature think this way. Paul's like, this is what maturity does. It, it's, it's leaving aside the past. It's chasing after Jesus with everything that we have. Uh, wanting more and more and more of Jesus because Jesus is what makes our lives significant. And this is what baptism is. Again, friends, baptism is this. Baptism is this huge transition in our lives. It's, it's washing away the past. It's washing away life without God. And it's pressing forward in this huge transition that encompasses every aspect of your life. And that's what baptism preaches to us. And on this, our kids are included in this transition why? Well, because when you transition to following Jesus, when you change the orientation of your life to follow after Jesus, it affects your family. It, it impacts your kids. They will grow up knowing and loving and following Jesus because you'll tell them how wonderful he is. Because you won't be perfect at this, but you'll show them his love and his grace and his understanding. And this is why we baptize them. So just some quick applications, and then we'll close. You can probably guess what the application is going to be. Um, first, get baptized next week, you and your children. If you haven't been baptized, now's the time. Now's the time. I mean, what an amazing thing that we can experience where God gives us water in abundance so that we can know that he has been the author of this transition of our lives. So get baptized next week, you and your children. Two, two, renew your covenant with God next week. Some of you are like, well, I was baptized, but for some reason I don't think it took, or you know what, I just want to re-up with Jesus. Um, you don't have to be re-baptized. But you, if you would like to, like some people in Presbyterian churches, sometimes they'll like shame on people for wanting to get baptized again. That's not us. That's not us, because... If you want to stand before your church family and friends and say, hey, you know what? I'm either in with Jesus again after a time away or I'm in with Jesus because, dang it, I just want to tell everybody and God that I'm in with Jesus still. He would be honored by that kind of step. And so if you want to renew your covenant with God next week through a ceremony that looks a lot like baptism. It's going to feel a lot like baptism, but it's a covenant renewal ceremony and not actually like a baptism. We'll, uh, let's do that next week too. Um, and then third, last thing, for those of you who have been baptized and are super content with the last baptism that you experienced, your application is to remember your baptism and remember that you are united to the death and the resurrection of Jesus. The old, your sinful self has been crucified with him and sin no longer has power over you. You've been set free to walk in new life. 
And God has poured his spirit from heaven out and it has drenched every aspect of your life and his presence is with you no matter where you go, no matter what you do, because he and his presence makes a huge difference in who you are. You're his child. Remember that this week. If you want to take a step forward baptism, use the connection card. Let us know. We'll contact you this week. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful to you for your grace. We're so grateful for the life of Paul and the joy that he had and to read his words and to talk through them that it gives us joy. And we thank you, God, that this transition from the lives we were living before to chasing after you to knowing more of you, it gives us joy. Father, we love you. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for all that you've done for us. Thank you for living in us and working through us. We want more of you. Help us this week to walk with you, to think about you, to talk with you, and to discover new ways to experience you. We pray this in your name. Amen.